Now, I have a title of my sermon today is just called In Jesus We Trust. I know it's a terrible title. I, I have I, I had really thought about this title, but you'll see why I called it that. It's G's as in the letter G. All around us, there are these ideas and philosophies being poured out on us through the arenas of media, such as news organizations, radio stations, social media, movies, TV, books, magazines, podcasts, you name it. All kinds of ideas, thoughts, philosophies, they're just being put on us. And whether we realize it or not, everything we hear is designed to change our thinking about ourselves, about our world, about the universe, and even God. And if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, if we get too busy or careless, we can be tossed back and forth in our beliefs, we can be confused, and we could end up trusting in the wrong G. You see, there are many Gs that you can trust in, but there is only one G that you should trust in because it is the truth. All the other Gs are fallacies. What's a fallacy, you say? Well, a fallacy is simply a false notion, a wrong idea. I have designed this message in hopes that every listener will begin to think about the G's that they trust in in their life. And I'm also hoping that every listener will consider the words of the Bible, the Holy Scripture, particularly from the books of Ecclesiastes and Colossians today. The first book was written by the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. And the second book was written by a brilliant thinker, a persecutor of the church turned to proponent of Christianity, who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the very best philosophers of his time, none other than the Apostle Paul. Out of all the sources of information that one could be influenced by, I believe the Bible to be the greatest because it points us to the one G that will bring us life. So what are these Gs all right, let's dive right in now and discover them. Well, the first G that humans tend to trust in is greatness. And it goes something like this. I have the power to control what happens to me in life. I am my own authority. Now, as a backdrop to this message, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And I'd like you to go there right now to verse number 2, and I'm going to read to you verses 2 to 8. Here's what the scripture says. Obey the king since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty, and don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. 
And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. You see, there's a problem with trusting in our own greatness, with thinking that we have power to control everything that happens in our lives, that we have the authority ultimately over our own life. You see, the Bible shows us two powers that are above us. The first one is the authorities with the power to punish. There is always an authority above us that can punish our deeds. And the second one is death, which is described in Ecclesiastes as an obligation and a dark battle. No one can escape authorities above them, and no one can escape death. We have heard the words anarchy and autonomous lately, haven't we? And just for educational purposes, anarchy means this. It means a state of disorder due to the absence of non-recognition of authority. Autonomous means having the freedom to govern itself or control its own affairs, to act independently. Usually, anarchy and autonomy are desired by those who have been bought into Marxist ideas, whether they know it or not, which is the belief that people can achieve the same and correct understanding of social and economic development, and they do not need authority over them. You see, there are some who really desire this, but there is a fallacy in it. What is that fallacy? Humans are sinful, and someone is always in charge. There is another fallacy in trusting in human greatness. It is of the enemy himself. Having been given extraordinary powers by the Most High God, Satan fails to see his own limitations. And that same philosophy creeps into the human mind and hardens us to the truth that we are created beings with limitations. If you're trusting in your own greatness, you will be sorely disappointed. Do not trust in that G. Here's the second G that humans tend to trust in, and that is godlessness. It goes like this. I choose my own morals. I do not need God or religion to tell me what is right or wrong. Well, let's continue in Ecclesiastes with verse 9 of chapter 8. It says this, I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. I have seen wicked people buried with honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This, too, is meaningless. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. You see, some people think because, uh, because long life and honor comes to both wicked people and religious people or righteous people, that there must be no God. In other words, we look at the human experience and we see no difference. There is no God. Therefore, everyone is free to choose their own path. They can redefine the terms wicked, redefine the term righteous to fit their own desires. And if enough like-minded people redefine those terms together, they can make some people feel better about themselves while shaming, shunning, attacking, and canceling other people. Here's the truth. 
Sins against God will always be sins against God, regardless of how much time we change the laws of the land. Decriminalization of sinful behavior within a nation does not change God's law. God remains the same. God's righteousness is the same. Sin is the same. I remember in high school, I, I was forced to read a book called A Separate Piece, and that's like on the top 10 books that you were made to read in high school books, and it was written by John Knowles. There's a character in there, one of the main characters, his name is Finney, all right? He runs this club, and he has a bunch of rules that he has for everybody, and he kind of casts them in forms of commandments. And one of the rules is this, always say some prayers at night, because it might turn out that there is a God, <laughs> all right? I chuckled at that when I was a teenager. I thought, hmm, smart for a godless person, covering all the bases, not trusting completely in godliness. That's a good idea. Listen, Solomon teaches us that the fear of God will yield better results for us in the end. In other words, he says, if you have to choose between a life of faith in God and not living a life of faith in God, of godlessness, then choose faith in God because in the end, it is better for you. It's just better, better results, whether you live a long life or a short life. This is because he understands that there is a final judgment coming and humans will be judged not on how they were uh, to how true they were to their own godless beliefs, but according to the obedience they had to God's instructions. And so do not trust in godlessness. The third G is goodness. And it goes like this. As long as I'm a good human, good things will happen to me. Being good earns me favor. Let's continue in Ecclesiastes 8 verse 14. It says this, and this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. Now, how many of you out there can just say, amen, Solomon? Listen, we live in a time things have not changed. This has always been true. Wicked people are called good. Good people are called wicked. The world is confused, and that's because the world has so many different ideas and philosophies and viewpoints. The first problem is this. What is the definition of good? What the Bible calls good, others would call wicked. What others call good, the Bible states is wicked. I'll never forget that when I was a youth pastor back in New Jersey, in Glassboro, New Jersey, there was a university there named Rowan University, and I was a volunteer campus, uh, campus pastor uh, with a college group called Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship. And I went to one of the lectures at the religious club on campus, and the religious club on campus had invited a bishop there named Bishop Spong out of New Jersey who was coming to talk about the scriptures and really wanted to talk about the, uh, the LGBTQ agenda and things like that. But I will never forget that Bishop Spong said this, the Ten Commandments are immoral. 
I will never forget him saying that. It shocked me that any person would say that, especially somebody that was a a person of the cloth. I mean, he was from the Episcopal Church. It was just shocking that he would say that, and I had wasn't really familiar with him at the moment, and then later became a lot more familiar with him and his teachings, and then I wasn't so shocked that he would say that. But this is what Solomon's saying, that wicked things are called good, and good things are called wicked. Obviously, humans believe that goodness is subjective. And cultural movements often sway new generations to adopt new definitions of goodness as they claim new enlightenment. People better adapt or they will switch over from being good to being wicked. That's the way culture is. Even today, we see that happening right before our very eyes. Some people who had large platforms in the last five to ten years have no platform now because they switched over from being good to being wicked. Wicked people have a free will and they make choices to harm others every day. Let's look around. Evil is everywhere. Just look at the daily news. The issue for Christians is believing that goodness itself is what buys you freedom, favor, and protection. Some people just trust in goodness They say, I will be good. As long as all my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I will be okay. But what if you are good and God still does not intervene in your life? Will you still serve him? Or did you just do those good things to earn his love? You see, this fallacy leads us to believe that God always protects us from harm when we are obedient to him, which is not true. If this were true, there would never, ever have been a single martyr for Christ. But yet we know that there have been thousands upon thousands of martyrs for Jesus Christ over the centuries, including this year and the last decade especially. Therefore, we cannot trust in goodness. The fourth G is kind of a strange one. I wasn't quite sure how to put this, but It's gloominess. And you ask, what, really people trust in their gloominess? Well, sometimes they do. Some people are pretty negative. And it goes like this. I, as long as I am suffering and serious, God is pleased with me. Now, listen, Ecclesiastes 8.15 says this. So I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat, to drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work that God gives them under the sun. I think this has to be one of the greatest verses in the Bible because we hear right from the scripture, I recommend having fun because there is nothing better. You see, there are some people who would feel more spiritual by identifying with the hardships of Christ. They have no trouble imposing that burden on other people either. They're really fun suckers, okay? That's what they are. You know who I'm talking about. You've all run into these people. If you've been a Christian and gone to church all your life, or maybe you used to go to church, you remember these people. They were fun suckers. They were so serious. They were so somber all the time. You see, if all we did was pour ourselves out in seriousness, we would eventually collapse, and no one would want to be around us. Dr. Solomon recommends fun. There is nothing better, he says, and I'm with him. To me, gladness is as much of an expression of spiritual strength as sacrifice 
and sober-mindedness. Some of you need to have some fun. Lately, I get up in the morning, I look at my social media accounts, I look at Facebook, and then uh, the Twitter account, and all of a sudden I see these videos that are recommended from uh, Dry Bar Comedy. And I start listening to these comedians, and I just start laughing. And I think one morning my wife and daughter must have thought I was a crazy man sitting at the dining room table because I was laughing my head off out loud at how funny these comedians were. It does good for the soul. You know, one of my favorite parts of the movie, The Passion of the Christ, now talk about a serious movie, right? And even Mel Gibson, who made it, was criticized for the violence in the movie, and they thought he glorified violence, and it was just so serious. It was also in a foreign language and had, you know, and all of that. And so, but one of my favorite parts was a scene when Jesus is with his mother, Mary, and he plays around by just splashing water at her. And I thought that was such a good scene because we could all imagine Jesus doing something like that. We know that children loved him. We know that he enjoyed parties and he enjoyed social events. And the way he went about his work, he inspired rejoicing and gladness. So do not trust in gloominess. You may not have thought of it that way, but all of those who are so serious. God doesn't love you more just because you're so serious. God also wants you to have fun. The fifth thing that we can end up trusting in, the fifth G, is our giftedness. And it goes like this. The older the world gets, the more gifted, intelligent, and enlightened or wise each succeeding generation becomes. Yeah. Did you know that? People actually believe this. The older the world gets, the more gifted, the more intelligent, and the more enlightened every succeeding generation gets. Very interesting. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 8, 16, and 17. In my search for wisdom and in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realized that no one can discover everything that God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything. And I like this part, no matter what they claim. <laughs> How many of you know that people that, the people that we think of as the wisest are often the ones that claim they are the wisest. They're self-proclaimed. We are so smart. We are so wise. We are so elite. We know so much more than anyone else and more than any previous generation. Well, here's the problem with giftedness and trusting in giftedness. And there are many, but I'm just going to point out a few. The first one is this. Our giftedness may lead us to think that we're an expert and we'll just quit asking questions. Now, here's what I learned a long time ago about asking questions. When we quit asking questions, we stop learning. It's the question asking that leads to more learning. Socially, we may treat others as less intelligent and not worth communicating with. And then we just become an elitist, a snob. Also, the problem with trusting in our giftedness is we can end up deceiving ourselves, thinking that we know everything even more than God. The world says that knowledge is power, but if we know, and if we know more than someone else, we can control their mind, manipulate their actions, and guard against their attempts to control us. Sometimes even people in the media get caught up in this thinking that if we just have the knowledge, we can control people's thinking. 
While this may be true to a certain extent, the fallacy is that our giftedness is everlasting and unlimited. Do you see that fallacy? Our giftedness is not everlasting. It's not unlimited. Our giftedness can be taken away from us in a moment, in a split second. We can begin to forget. We can have a terrible accident that could cause us to lose our giftedness. We are limited. Remember this, your intelligence can be taken from you. There is always someone more gifted than you. Have you ever discovered that? Our intelligence is a drop in a bucket at the bottom of the vast ocean compared to our creator. We will never be so wise that we know everything that God is up to. Which leads me to the final G. What is the G, the one G that we should trust in? Well, it is this, grace. And it goes like this. The only G we can trust in is the grace of God. It is the anchor of our life. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, tells us about the power of grace and how it destroys all the fallacies of human thought. It is so beautiful. Let me read it to you, beginning with verse 13. It says this, You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God, I love that. How many of you love that? Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed or he stripped off the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I love this. We need to trust in the G called grace because it is only the power of the cross that can save us. You and I, we were once dead in our sins. We were carrying a heavy record of the charges against us. We tried to be someone great. We tried to be someone powerful, but that didn't work out. We convinced ourselves that we could be godless and self-defined and make our own ways, our own morals. Well, that didn't work out. We thought our goodness could save us, but it couldn't. We embraced our gloominess, thinking God would be pleased. We neglected our gladness. And we burned out. We relied on our giftedness and we became conceited. None of these G's worked for us in our life, but then something new happened. We realized that all these ideas were false notions and we came to Christ. A spiritual procedure began and we were raised to new life. Come on, someone say hallelujah. And I want you to know, if you are listening to this message today carefully, that Jesus Christ, he stands at your door, at your heart, and he knocks. And he, and welcome, he asks you, invite me in. Let me come into your heart. Let me come into your life. And if you would let him in, he will come in and he will change your life. He will come in and make you a new creation. Who needs to rethink their trust? If anyone wants to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the first time, then I would like an opportunity to pray with you right now, even as you're watching this video, 
and lead you into a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, why don't you just pray with me right now, this simple prayer. Just pray with me. Say, dear Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to come into my heart. God, I've messed up. God, I've tried to live my life my way, but it has not worked. God, I have thought all different thoughts about what I should trust in, in my own giftedness, in my own morals, Lord, in my own goodness, but none of those things have worked. I ask now for your grace. I ask you to change me and forgive me. I thank you that you died on a cross for me, and I ask that you would give me new life now. Come into my heart, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer sincerely, then I believe that Jesus has now come into your life and he will be the best friend that you've ever had. And for those of us that have been serving God, yep, if we're not careful, we can end up trusting in the wrong G's. Today, realign yourself with the one G, and that is grace. You get what you deserve with grace, what you don't deserve with grace. You get what you could not get on your own with grace. Jesus provides that for you. And so realign yourself and trust in grace alone. Amen.